Amen. You guys can be seated. Good morning. My name is Kyle. It's so good to see each and every one of you. It's a joy to worship with you. Uh, if it's your first time here, we are so glad that you're here. If you're here every week, man, it's just such so good to see you and fellowship with you and to lift up the name of Jesus. Fun day today. We've got baptism and Easter is right around the corner just a week away. Speaking of Easter, I want you to do me a favor. I know you have them on you. Go ahead and pull out your phone and open up to whatever social media platform you enjoy the most, whether it's Instagram or whether it's Facebook or whether it's Twitter, and find Holland Chapel on there. Make sure you're following us. We posted this morning uh, an invite on there that you can use. We want you to share that like crazy. We want you to do that on every platform that you possibly can. Use that as well to make some personal invites for people to be here next week. It's going to be a great, great week as we celebrate Easter. And we want your friends, we want your family, we want your neighbors to be here. And so you can help us out big time, have a huge reach by using social media. Also, you have invite cards that are in your seats. We want to encourage you to take those and invite someone to church with you. You'd be amazed who's going to say yes to you when you invite them, especially since it's Easter. And it's going to be a big day. It's going to be a glorious day. And we're going to have a lot of fun here together next week. Well, today... We are wrapping up our joy series, and now some of you are glad about that. That's my only joke of the day right there, so it goes downhill from there. You're glad about us ending the joy series. Anyway, uh, what we have been looking at is the book of Philippians over now today, what it's been the last seven weeks, and talking about joy and what the Word of God has to say about it. Just a little warning, I haven't preached in two weeks uh, uh, next week is Easter. I'm a little wound tight. Honestly, the text that I'm preaching this morning, I could probably preach three sermons from. So hold on to everything you got. All right, it's coming, and it's going to be fun, and I think it's going to be good. I think it's really going to be incredibly, what we're going to talk about today, incredibly practical and applicable to your life. And so I'm very excited to talk about what we're going to be talking about from Philippians. Also, I want to tell you that if you're not a believer yet, if you're not a Christ follower yet, we want you to have what we've been talking about in this beautiful thing called joy. It comes in and only through Jesus. It's how we have joy because he has forgiven us and changed us through the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want that for you as well. So we're going to jump right in. Philippians chapter 4. I want you to open your Bibles. You can see it on the screen. Also, if you need a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you underneath there. You can grab one of those and we'll be on page 985. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to begin in verse number 4. If you have a really, really sharp memory, uh, you can think back to seven weeks ago in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 is where we began this whole study, and then we backed up to chapter 1 and kind of went through a lot of passages in the book of Philippians. And we want to land here again today in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. So turn your brains on, if you will, interact with what we're talking about this morning. I want you to really think through some of the things we're saying. I'm going to pose some questions for you, for you to have a little dialogue in your head and maybe out on paper with some things that we're asking you because I really want you to get what we're talking about this morning. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Just in case we miss it, I'm going to read verse 4 again. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. And for a third time, would you read it with me? Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, 
rejoice. You have to smile just a little bit when you say rejoice, don't you? You can't say rejoice and not smile. And so what an incredible verse of Scripture we have being spoken to us here. I want to remind you, the, the guy who's writing this down, he's in prison. Things are not going well for him. He is possibly going to be put to death for preaching the gospel, not for doing bad things, but for doing God things. And he chooses, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, to write this verse in that circumstance, in that moment. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. So I want to ask you a question. Once you start thinking, if you want to jot some things down, I think it'd be great. If you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower, it tells you to rejoice in and have joy in the Lord. So I want you to think for just a moment, what do you have as a believer in Jesus Christ? What do you have in the Lord? It tells you to take joy in the Lord. So if you're in the Lord, what do you have since you are in the Lord? Think for just a moment. What do I have in Jesus? What has he given me? What has he blessed with me with? What has he done for me? What has he done in me? What has he done through me? If I'm going to have joy in the Lord, I've got to think about what it means to be in the Lord. So begin processing that. Again, if you think of some things, write them down. I'm going to suggest some things to you to get your minds really rolling on some big things. There's such a long list, but I just want to give you a few. Let me just begin that if you're a believer, that if you're a Christian, that if you have placed your faith in Christ and in Christ alone to be your Savior, You are in the Lord, and therefore you are forgiven. Let that word flood over your heart and your soul and your mind this morning. Forgiven. I don't know about you, but I've got a lot of sin in my life. Therefore, I have been forgiven of a ton. So that word forgiveness is huge. That's what I have in Jesus. All of my sins have been washed away. Believers, if that does not bring you to a point of rejoicing in the Lord, maybe, just maybe, you're not in the Lord and your sins haven't been forgiven to think that everything wiped away, made clean through Jesus. It's incredible. Yeah, you can celebrate that. That's okay. Forgiven. Forgiven. Now, I've probably got some stuff that I'd be bold enough to say, well, I've done this, and I've done that, and I've done that. There's probably a few things in your life you'd be willing to stand up in public. Yeah, I did this, and it was wrong, and I did this, and it was bad. Yeah, I missed it here. But there's some stuff that I ain't telling you, and you ain't going to tell me. It's ugly. It's gross. It's heinous. God, through Jesus, has forgiven us of it. It is absolutely stunning and forgiving. Be full of joy in the Lord. In the Lord, we have hope. We have hope. We have hope for this life now because Jesus is in charge. We have hope for the life to come because Jesus is in charge. One of these days, Jesus is going to make everything that is out of whack and out of line and totally broken in this world, and he's going to make it right again. We have hope in Jesus. No matter what our circumstances may be today, we know that Jesus is going to make everything, everything right. We have rightness with God. I don't know about you, but since I placed my faith in Jesus, me and God are totally good. Did you hear what I just said out loud? Me and God are good. 
We're on talking terms. He's my father. I'm his son. I'm going to be his son forever. I have right relationship with God only because of Jesus. Only because of Jesus. So when he says, always be full of joy in the Lord, he's not just saying, man, just think about happy thoughts and everything will be better. He's no, think about what Jesus has done for you and it will cause you to rejoice in everything that we have. Everything that we have. In Christ, it's because of what he has done. His perfect life lived here among people like us, being laid down on the cross for our sins and for our shame. little spoiler alert for next week. He didn't stay dead. He's alive. You can celebrate that today, too. You don't have to wait till next week. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every day and every week in our church because it's why we live. It's why we have hope. Always be full of joy in the Lord. So it brings me to this question for you, are you in the Lord? Are you in the Lord? We had a baptism in our first service, and I know she wouldn't mind me saying it. She's a dear friend of mine. Jackie Flowers got baptized in our first service. And yeah, amen, yeah. Woo. She has been in church her entire life. She's an awesome lady. If you don't know her, you need to get to know her. She's been in my disciples' path, and we've been walking through Scripture together as a group, and we've been talking much about what it means to be in Jesus and the way of salvation and the gospel because we don't breeze through that stuff because that's what it's all about. And just a few weeks ago, I'll never forget, on a Wednesday night, she caught me, and she said, hey. And I said, hey, because she's just one of those vibrant people. She said, I got saved this morning. I was like, do what? Because I thought, assumed, Jackie was saved. And here's what she said. Here's what she said, I have believed in Jesus all of my life, but not till, when she was talking to me, but not till this morning had I received Jesus. So maybe that's you right now, maybe by chance you have believed that Jesus is who he is, but you've never received the forgiveness and the redemption and the salvation that comes by faith and by faith alone. According to verse 4, how often are we supposed to rejoice? Some of you didn't want to say it out loud, right? Because <laughs> we don't do it all the time, do we? Maybe that shows where our focus is. Maybe that shows where our mind is. And we're going to talk a lot more about our mind. Let me give you the big idea when it comes to joy this morning. That is this. Most people think you get joy when you get what you desire. In other words, if this would just go my way, I'd be happy. If they would leave, I would be happy. If I could just get this, I would be happy. If I could just buy that, I would be happy. Most people think that when you get what you desire, you get joy. But real joy, listen to this, real joy comes when you realize what you deserve. Now, let me tell you what we just did there. When we're talking about desires, we're talking about things I want, and we're talking about how things go with other people. When I talk about what I deserve, things are out the window, and other people are about the window, out the window, and it's about me now. What do I deserve? Christians, you know this, but let me remind you of what you deserve, okay? What we deserve is judgment, 
Okay, what we deserve is for God to say, you are wrong, I am right, go far away from me, I never want to see you again. That's what we deserve. What we deserve is judgment, but what we receive, check this out, follow me, but what we receive is salvation. So the moment that I think about what I deserve, which is death, which is separation from God, which is hell, and I think about what I've received, which is salvation, which is rightness with God, which is heaven, which is eternity with him, I'm telling you what, if that doesn't cause your heart to rejoice, nothing else will. But if you spend your whole life thinking, when I get what I deserve, I'm going to have joy, you're going to be miserable the rest of your life. Because that person may act right in the way you want them to for a little while. But at some point, they're going to goof up, they're going to mess up, and your joy is going to be gone. That thing that you want so bad is going to break. It's going to get stolen. It's going to fall apart. It's not going to be what it ought to be. But I'm going to tell you, when you start realizing what you deserve because of your sin, and you start realizing what you receive because of Jesus, what would happen if all of us, just this room, said, you know what, I am always, always going to rejoice in the Lord. Let me tell you the first thing would happen. Our faces would start to look a little bit different, wouldn't they? We, we would just have a different countenance about us, wouldn't we? I have to watch my face. I'm very expressive. I know that. Like, that's just kind of who I am. I can't really hide what I'm thinking because my face is always, you know, if my mouth is not moving, my face is moving, right? It's just who I am. And so I know that I can look really, really happy when I am, and I know I can look really, really mad when I'm mad, right? Mean, all those other kind of things that I can be. But what if we, as a group of people, just focused on Jesus and we were always full of joy? Let me tell you some sins that creep up on us that I think would be eradicated from our lives if we truly, truly found ourselves Having joy in the Lord. I think sins like envy would be gone. Sins like gossip would be gone. What a life that would be to live in, would it not? Heaven's going to be really, really good. No more gossip. Hey, by the way, that's the way the church ought to be too. Gossip ought to be gone. Let it be banished from among us. If we have joy in the Lord, this stuff doesn't happen. Stinginess, gone. Arrogance, gone. Discontent, gone. Complaining, gone. Anybody else besides me complain just a little bit? All right, eight of you complain, all right? Some of you are complaining inside because I just asked you to admit that out loud, and you're like, ah, you shouldn't have done that, right? Man, if those things were, would be gone if we got our eyes on Jesus and we celebrated who he is. Look at verse number five. Let everyone see that you are considerate. Now, let me give you some more words to go along with considerate here as we think about verse 5. Considerate, meaning gracious, meaning reasonable, and meaning gentle in spirit. Okay, so considerate. Gracious, reasonable, and gentle in spirit. Let everyone see you as those things. It goes on in verse 5 to say, in all you do. And then it gives us a reminder because we're forgetful and we need to be reminded of this this morning. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Some of us have forgotten that Jesus is coming back and we need to be reminded this morning that he's coming back. Why do I need to be reminded that he's coming back? Do I need to be reminded that he's coming back so that my life's going to get better? Sure, absolutely. Hope and restoration and all those kind of things. But one of the reasons why I need to remember the Lord is coming back is because some other people aren't ready for him to come back yet. 
And just maybe we have been treating people without consideration and without graciousness and without kindness because we think we got all the time in the world to straighten things out with them. And it just might be that the way we're treating people is the very reason why they are not in Jesus because they don't want what we've got. They don't see any joy in us. They don't see any graciousness in us. They don't see any love in us. And they're like, I don't want that. Listen, Jesus is coming back. Those people that you've broken things with, you need to go fix it. Show them grace. Extend grace over and over again. Maybe they'll show you some grace, and then you can share Jesus with them because one day he's coming back. And they're going to miss heaven if you don't share him with them. Some of you aren't able to share Jesus because you act like a jerk all the time. They don't want what you've got. You're not full of joy. You're a jerk. God says, be full of this considerate attitude. Church, this is important. Be considerate of others. Jesus is coming. you got some neighbors, right? Some of your neighbors you like. Some of your neighbors maybe not so much. It's quite possible those neighbors you don't like very much are the very neighbors that need you to be the most considerate, need you to be the most gracious, need you to be the most forgiving and the most kind so that you can earn the right to speak the gospel into their life. Check out verse number six. This is going to get really, really practical. Don't worry about anything. Some of you were worried we'd get down to verse number six, weren't you? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? Everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Well, how do you know if you are full of stress and worry? Well, according to the experts, if you're a pastor, you are full of stress and worry. No joke. Like, you, you look at all the research, like pastors are like, way up there on top. Stress, worry, anxiety. So I say that to let you know that I, I know what you feel and I know what you experience when it comes to worry and when it comes to anxiety. And I want to talk this out a little bit with you. I want you to know that I, I'm not giving you the clinical approach to this this morning. And that's where some of you are and or maybe need to be. You need to get some clinical help when it comes to anxiety and worry. And I'm not saying that in any kind of negative way. I'm saying that with all love and due respect for you. And if you found help in this area and you needed help clinically on this, great, good, wonderful. But this morning, I'm not giving you the clinical approach. I'm giving you the biblical approach. And whether you need clinical help in this area or not, all of us need the biblical approach to this thing. It's applicable for every single one of us. Let me give you kind of a working definition of worry. Worry, it's when we imagine the future in a terrible way. When we imagine the future in a terrible way. Now, God had Paul write this down like 2,000 years ago, and it's almost like he knew what kind of life we would be living today. He almost knew the worry and the fear and the stress that we would be encountering. The people then definitely had worries. The people who were living in that day were worried, listen to me, worried about their future because of following Jesus. Following Jesus in that day could potentially bring you death. He knew they were worried. He knew the stress that you would have. He knew the stress that I would have. He knew what the stress of parenting would look like. He knew what the stress of marriage would look like. He knew what the stress of doing job would look like and finances would look like. He knew all that, so he writes this down for us. Now, I want to work through this, and I think you've got to hang in there with me and not stop short, or you're going to get messed up. Listen to me. Let me ask you this question. Why do we worry? I'll give you a simple answer to that. It's not the full answer, but a simple answer. I would suggest to you that we worry because we care. 
I don't worry about things I don't care about. Are you with me? Stuff I don't care about, I'm like, who cares? Whatever, I don't care. They're over there. That's not me. I, don't, I care about, I, excuse me, I worry about things I care about. I worry about people that I value, right? I, I, I worry about them. I'm concerned about them. Why? Because I care about them. But there are some people in our lives we don't give a rip about, right? Right? They're just not on our radar. We don't know them. We don't care about them. Uh, maybe we wrote them off our list, whatever. But we just don't care, so we don't worry about them. But for the people that we care about, we worry about. For instance, the weather came through really harsh yesterday, and we were watching the news, and um, it was going to be coming right through Monroe, Louisiana. It looked like all the storm chasers were going there. It looked like Monroe was going to be the hot spot yesterday. Well, we were really tuned into that, and the reason why we were tuned into that is not because we enjoy watching storms and that kind of stuff, but we have family that live in Monroe, Louisiana. So we were concerned. We were worried. We chose to uh, be, um, you know, paying attention to this because we had people there that we care about. If that had said Toledo, Ohio, I'd be like, well, hope the people in Toledo are okay, right? I mean, I really do, but like at the end of the day, I'm not that worried about the people in Toledo. But there's people in Monroe that I know. We, we worry because we care. We worry about things like our finances. Why? Because it matters to us. If we go broke or we go under, like just all the collapse that happens in our life, we, we struggle with. We worry about work. Why? Because that's connected to our livelihood and our future and our finances. We worry about health. They tell me, you know, my health's not going to be well in the future. I worry. They just spoke into my future. Hey, you're not doing well. This is going to go bad. Or they tell me bad news about my wife. What am I going to do? I'm going to worry. Why do I worry? Because I care. Because I care. Why do we worry? We worry because we care. Next question for you to consider. Why do we pray? Why do we pray? I say to you that we pray if and because we trust Jesus with what we worry about. I'm going to say that again. We pray if and because we trust Jesus with what we care about. Do you see what just happened in this moment? If I'm a worrier, the question is, okay, can I take this worry and shift it towards Jesus and redeem that worry into prayer? If you are a huge, gargantuan, powerful worrier, guess what you have potential to be? A huge, gargantuan, powerful prayer. Because when you shift all of that by faith to Jesus and you say, here, take it, you have moved from worry into prayer, and it is a huge, huge shift. So, why do some of us not pray about what we worry about? There's a lot of reasons, but let me give you one idea that maybe you can wrestle with a little bit and chew on a little bit. I would suggest to you that sometimes we don't pray about what we worry about because some of the things that we're worried about, we created ourselves, and we think it's our responsibility to fix the problem that we made. In other words, I messed up. No way am I going to tell God that I messed up and I need his help to fix this. In other words, I'm going to be responsible, and I'm going to make it happen, and I'm going to straighten it out. Here's my question for you. How's that working for you? I don't know about you, I normally mess it up more. I normally mess it up more. What if the most responsible thing you could do is trust Jesus with your worry and your anxiety and your problem? What if the most responsible thing you can do is just give it to Jesus? I say that's the most responsible thing that you can do. Worry means you care. Prayer means you trust. Worry means you care. Prayer means you trust. What do you care about? Who do you trust? What do you care about? 
Who do you trust? This is in your notes. If you really care about it, pray about it. If you really care about it, pray about it. That is your biblical responsibility and privilege. That if you care about something, you get to pray about it. You get to trust the one who can fix it. Well, maybe you're one of these people like, I can't, I can't like just trust God with it. i got to do something about it. i gotta, I got to fix it myself. I need to do something more. I pray, but i got to do something. Okay, listen to me. Praying doesn't mean you don't have to do anything else. Praying means you go to God with your worry, you go to God with your fear, you go with your anxiety, and you give it to him and you trust him with it, and then you wait for him to tell you what to do about it. There's something for you to do. Sometimes God may say to you, wait. Well, that's not the answer you wanted, right? But it may be the very answer you need. Sometimes the answer is close your mouth, boy. Anybody else think I can fix everything like this? I just do. I think, man, if I could just, right? And sometimes God's like, just hush. Just hush. Sometimes God's going to tell you when you trust him with it to step away. And he's literally going to say, let me fix it. I don't want your hands on it. I don't want your words on it. I don't want your presence on it. This and they and that are mine. Trust me with it. It's hard. Sometimes he's going to say, step in. Which one's harder, stepping away or stepping in? Depends on the situation. Depends on your personality, right? But you need to hear from God. And the only way you're going to hear from God is to trust him with what you're worried about and pray to him. Sometimes stepping in gets really, really messy. It's really, really messy, but sometimes God wants to use you to speak truth and hope into someone's life. And the only way you can know and the only way you can have the wisdom as to what to do in the mess that you're in or the mess that somebody else has that you are worried about is to pray about it and let God speak to you. If you are in the Lord, his Holy Spirit is in you and he will guide you and direct you. Any husbands in the room? You care about your wife, right? Pray a little bit more and figure out what you need to do. Are you with me? And all the women are like, amen, preach it, preach it, preach it. Any wives in the room? Huh? You, you need to pray about what to do with your husband. Okay? Any single people in the room? You need to pray about whether you need to talk to that person at all or not. All right? God right now may be like, move away. Right? I don't know. Could be the best gift God's ever given you. For some of you, you need courage, and God's saying, it's time to get closer. It's time to take this thing to the next level. I've got good plans for you. The only way you're going to know about that is to pray about it. It's the only way. Whew. All right, where am I? Oh. Hey, this is worth writing down. Worry is a joy killer. Worry is a joy killer. Prayer is a joy bringer. You like that grammar, right? Prayer is a joy bringer. Have you ever just been in that moment where everything's crazy and chaotic and you choose by faith to take your worry and your anxiety and your fear and trust Jesus with it and he does something inside of your soul. He doesn't change the circumstance. He doesn't change the person. He doesn't fix the problem, but he does something inside of you and you experience a peace that cannot be explained. You ever had that experience? It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And if you've never had that experience, I would say to you, you probably haven't gone very often to Jesus with your worries. Look at verse number 7. Then you will experience God's peace after we do what? We don't worry, we pray. 
Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. i got to hurry. Check this out. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Everybody say thoughts. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. This word think here, it means to ponder. It means to dwell on. It means to focus on to consider carefully. God is telling me, God is telling you, if we're listening to him, to focus on things that are true, not false, not lies. Things that are right, not wrong, not unjust. Things that are pure, not impure. Things that are lovely, not unlovely, not repulsive. Things that are admirable, not shameful, Things that are excellent, not filthy. What if your thoughts were fixed on these things? What if your thoughts were fully fixed on things that are true and that are lovely and that are admirable and that are excellent? I would suggest to you that these words do a pretty awesome job of describing Jesus. You get where we're going with this, right? What, what if my mind, what if your mind was more focused on Jesus than all the other things and all the other people and all the other stuff and all the other problems of this world? So let me ask you this question. What are your thoughts consumed with? We're going to pass the mic around and let you guys share for a moment and just uh, give what your mind is consumed with. Uh He's sitting in the room. I'm not picking on him, and I'm not going to call his name, but he's going to feel nervous right now. But I was up in one of the classes earlier, and somebody kind of had their phone on because there's a little little round of golf happening right now. It's kind of a big deal. And they were playing early because, you know, weather and all this kind of stuff. And it's obviously on their mind. Nothing wrong with that. I don't bother me. Um, I had a friend about 20 years ago or longer, whenever the Cowboys were winning Super Bowls. That's been a minute. Um, he was a pastor in Dallas. He was a pastor in Dallas, and um, they back in the day, you know, Sunday night church is a big deal, and he told his church, his deacons, everybody, like, y'all better be at church, you better not skip for the Super Bowl, which I'm like, that's crazy, but anyway, uh, he went for it, and he thought he would mess with them a little bit, so he, he made them show up, and he put this fake earpiece in his ear, you know, with like a little radio earpiece, you know, back in the day, and he was actually preaching, and every few minutes, it was a fake earpiece, but every few minutes, he'd stop and go, and then come back to preaching, and they all thought he was listening to the Super Bowl, right? Like their mind was consumed with it. What's your mind consumed with? Probably your kids, probably your spouse, job, money. The list could go maybe downhill really quick from there, right? Of things that potentially our mind is consumed with, things that we are focused on. There's some very vile, yucky things that our minds can get consumed with. Jesus knows this, and he wrote this down 2,000 years ago because he cares about you and because he loves you, and he knows your thoughts are a very big deal. Listen, you can't choose your relatives, but you can choose your thoughts. And believe it or not, 
your thoughts have a greater impact on you than your relatives. They do. They do. It's going to be on the screen. You can fill it in your notes. And that is this. What we think matters, and it matters more than we think. What we think matters. (laughs) It matters a lot. It matters more than you can even think and understand. It's the reason why God, in verse number 8, said, fix your thoughts on these things. Uh, Scientists, it's pretty cool because they keep discovering what God did a long time ago. Um, uh, In recent history, they discovered this thing called reticular activating system of the brain. Some of you may be familiar with this. My wife's really smart. If I were smart, I'd just let her come up here and explain this right now, but I'm going to give you my simple version of it. Uh, It's called the reticular activating system. Here's the way this works. You buy a blue car, what do you start noticing everywhere? Blue cars, right? Why? Because you're thinking about the blue car that you bought. It's this reticular activating system. What you think about, you notice. And what you notice, you, you, you want to see more and you want to talk about it and you want to think about it even more. It just kind of keeps going and it makes you notice things. Almost subconscious but not. Reticular activating system. The other day, uh, Terry was telling me about that. And then just soon after that, she was telling me about a quick trip that she took with a friend over to the Clinton Presidential Library. And in the Clinton Presidential Library, she learned this, and it's pretty cool. Um, When Clinton was in high school, he got to take a picture with JFK. That picture ended up in his high school yearbook. It is the only picture in a high school yearbook of a standing president and a future president. It's kind of cool. Anyway, she told me that story. Anyway, the next day, she drops me off at the airport, and I'm flying out, and I'm just kind of cruising through the airport, you know, the Bill and Hillary Clinton airport. And there's pictures on the wall. I don't know how many times I've walked by them. I'm like, ah, whatever, you know. I mean, let's keep going. And I couldn't criminal by it, and, and I noticed this. I think it's coming. Got a picture coming up? Woo. Anyway, it's that picture that I was talking about that you can imagine now that we were, is it, there we go, all right, there we go. This picture is huge on the wall, and I've probably walked by this picture I don't know how many times that I've walked by that in the time that I've lived here and been in and out of this airport, and this picture just jumped off the wall at me. Why? My reticular activating system kicked into gear, and I noticed it because I had been thinking about it. How many things are you noticing right now because you're thinking about them, and they are not things that you ought to be noticing and things you ought to be thinking about? God knows this about you. He knew you had a reticular activating system. It's the reason why he said, fix your thoughts on these things, things that are true and lovely and honorable and excellent and admirable. Listen, it matters what we think, and it matters more than we think. Look at Psalm 119 in verse 23. It's going to be on the screen there for you. The psalmist, this was written before the book of Philippians was written. Here's what he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Look what else it says. Test me and know, look at these two words together, my anxious thoughts. Isn't that crazy? Anxious and thoughts put together there in the book of Psalms, written a long time before the book of Philippians is written, where it says don't worry about anything, pray about everything, and then fix your thoughts on. Know my anxious thoughts. The psalmist was wise enough to know that I've got anxiety and I don't need it, and it's rooted in my mind, and I want to think about good things, holy things, positive things, Jesus things. Maybe some of you need to ask him to search your anxious thoughts, the worry, and maybe just the unhealthy, ungodly, maybe negative thoughts that you're having in your life. Surrender your thought life to Jesus. Don't allow it to go into 
the gutter. Anybody be honest enough to say you've let your mind get in the gutter every now and then? Seven of you are honest this morning. That's awesome. Well, for the seven of us that just raised our hand, may God protect us from never going back there again. So many ways you can end up in the gutter, right? So, so many things that can take you there. Uh, for some of you, it's just negativity. It's just negativity. It's not like evil stuff or like, you know, lustful stuff or stuff like that. It's just negativity. And next thing you know, your mind's in the gutter because of your negative mindset. And this is not just positive mindset, negative mindset. This is Jesus' mindset as opposed to negative mindset, Okay. For some of you, it's because of things you've looked at and things you've dwelt on that are just impure. Don't let your thought life go into the gutter. Ask yourself this question, what wrong thinking do I need to get rid of? I don't have to give you a list, it's already at the forefront of your mind. If you're saved, especially the Spirit of God is bringing it to the forefront of your mind right now. You need to get rid of, and there it is. It's right in front of you. It's right in front of you. You're like, yep, that's the thing I think about all the time that should not be there. And I feed it, and I look for it, and I feed it, and I look for it, and I feed it, and I look for it, and I find it, and I feed it, and I find it, and I feed it, and it's got to go. It's got to go. Romans 12, 2, again, the wisdom of God, Romans 12, 2, it says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what? Changing the way you what? Listen, praying a prayer and confessing your sin to Jesus and receiving him as your Savior is paramount. It is so vastly important. But there's a lot of you in this room that have truly prayed that prayer and received the forgiveness of Jesus. But you're still, where's Aaron at? Jacked up. And the reason why you're jacked up is because you have got a messed up mind right now that Jesus wants to redeem. He has redeemed your soul and he's wanting to redeem your mind. He wants to change you by changing the way you think. Then it says, verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 2, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Some of you have no idea what to do next in life. And one of the biggest reasons why is because you haven't allowed God to change your thinking to the place that you can hear him, listen to him, and take direction from him. You are stuck in worry and anxiety and fear of the future. Rather than praying about everything, you fixed your thoughts on everything except for what is true and lovely and admirable, and you don't know what to do in life. The key is allowing the Savior that you know to change the way that you think. Well, how does he change the way you think? I'm going to give you this, and you got to get this. Here's the big, number one, humongous gargantuan way that he changes your mind. He changes your mind when you open your mind to the Scripture. This is how he changes your mind. You start reading the truth of God about yourself. And I'm going to go long, but I'm going for it. All right, here we go. Some of you right now, you are a saved person. Like, you truly believed and received Jesus. It is true for you. But you are stuck, and you are stuck hard in where you are in life right now, in temptation right now, in decision-making right now. And it is very likely because you haven't allowed Jesus to transform your mind. You ever heard this phrase before? I'm just a sinner saved by 
grace. That's where some of you are stuck. Never, ever, ever in Scripture do we see God describe his followers as sinners. You can read it. You don't put somebody like, I don't know about that. Well, read it and come back to me and tell me if I'm wrong, all right? Never, ever does he, hey, church, you're just a bunch of sinners, but you're saved by grace. Hey, pastors, you're just a bunch of sinners, but you're saved by grace. Hey, followers of mine, you're a bunch of sinners, but you're saved by grace. Let me tell you what he calls you over and over again. He calls you a holy people. <laughs> Some of you are like, ah. He calls you saints. Some of you are struggling with that because your brain has just like, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Yes, but it doesn't stop there. He has saved you to change you, and he has changed you radically through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe that you're a saint, you are limiting the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't do that. Don't do that. Well, I still mess up. Me too, but that doesn't change who I am in Jesus. I'm a saint. If I'll ever think of myself as a sinner, guess how I'm going to act? If I start believing the truth of God's word about me that declares I'm a saint, could it just be that maybe, 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 maybe I might start acting like a saint? It always gets quiet when I talk about this with y'all. You know, like it's Kyle going crazy on this weird theology thing. This ain't theology thing. This is Bible. Just read it. Just read it. He wants to transform your mind. This is how he's going to transform you. He redeemed your heart. And the way he wants to take this to another level is right here. It's right here. All right, I went way too long. Philippians 4.9. Keep, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Again, big idea. Most people think you get joy when you get what you desire. But in reality, you get joy when you think about what you deserve. This morning, I want you to think about what you deserve, and I want you to think about what you have and or can receive in Jesus. It will change your life. My prayer for each and every one of you, believer and or not, is that you would experience the joy of the Lord, and it only comes by faith in Him and believing His truth over our life. Some next steps for you to consider as we wrap up our time, maybe your next step today is just to rejoice in the Lord. Maybe that's what you need to do is just say, you know what? I've come to church and I've sung some songs, but I haven't rejoiced in the Lord in a long time. I haven't just said, whoa, my sins have been forgiven. You forgave me. Wow. Like maybe on the ride home, you need to crank it up and get lost and make people think you're weird driving down the road. All right? I don't know. Rejoice in the Lord. Make your kids think you're messed up tomorrow morning. Just get up and crank it up. Just be singing top of your lungs. They'll be like, what are you doing, Dad? I'm rejoicing in the Lord. Like, really be doing it. Don't do it. You know, really be doing it. Rejoice in the Lord. Um, maybe for you, uh, your next step is just to give your worries by praying. You got to quit holding on to it and you got to start trusting and saying, you know what? I'm going to pray. I'm going to give my worries to Jesus in prayer. And maybe your next step today is just to fix your thoughts on good things. Think about good things. This isn't positive self-help stuff. This is scripture stuff that will change your life. And that's what we want for you. Let's pray.